Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another Jazz Holiday, Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. I am your guest host, Michael Canodal, and we have a special treat for you today. I know you're saying, what is that special treat? Well, we have one of my favorite, favorite saxophonists, or would I say woodwind player, because he plays it all, and he plays it well. His name is Austin Vickery. And guess what? The topic today, another one of my favorites, is what I love about Cannonball Adderley. Man, I am super excited. I am ready to get this thing started. But before we do that, I just want to remind everyone, if you have any questions, go into that chat feature. We love questions. And we'll what we'll do is we'll leave some time at the end so all educators and everyone can chime in and answer them for you. Just use that raise your hand feature. And uh, we would love to hear what you have to say about today's session. You know, this wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. And we have some awesome sponsors. So I want to um, make sure that you check out the studio archives of our past video sessions at clearwaterjazz.com education outreach section. And that's brought to you by Blue Water Wealth Management at Stewart Partners and Duke Energy as well as the Young Lions podcast, wherever you stream. And that's brought to you by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. And just search Young Lion Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. I mean, where do I start? Austin has given us so many great sessions in the past, just to name a few. And you can always go back into the free archives and check this out. I mean, here's a few. Uh, a piano lesson from a horn player. Why jazz horn players should learn piano. Very important. Uh, here's one of my favorites. How to incorporate bebop in your improvisation. Um, now, he's also done some other what I love about series like Charlie Parker, Paul Desmond, Phil Woods, Stan Getz, Chris Potter. I mean, the man, he's the man, myth, and legend when it comes to uh, knowledge on the history of jazz and all the players. So I know you're excited about today, but if you don't know this wonderful educator and musician, Austin is a saxophonist, woodwind specialist, composer, arranger, music educator who currently resides in St. Petersburg, Florida. You know, he was born in Utah. Uh, Austin developed a love for music at a young age and was awarded, get this, the Louis Armstrong Jazz Award upon graduate high school. That is a major deal. You know it is. Uh, he holds a bachelor's in music and saxophone performance from the University of Utah and a master's in music and jazz studies from the University of Cincinnati. Um, and currently right now, uh, Austin is an adjunct instructor, woodwind instructor for John Hopkins Middle School in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, he's also been an adjunct music professor uh, over there at the Mirror Program uh, for St. Petersburg's Petersburg College. And you've probably heard him all over the city. And he's played on many, many stages throughout the country. Um, just an awesome, awesome player. And if you want more information, you can always check out his website, which is www.austinvickery.com. But you know what? I'm going to stop talking now because because I know you want to hear more about Cannonball Adelaide. So, Austin, the stage is all yours. Wow. Thank you so much, Mr. Canodal. Really appreciate that uh, amazing intro. Thank you so much. And as always, very grateful and happy to participate in uh, 
these uh, sessions. Uh, it's, I really love doing it. So thank you so much for having me again. Um, so this one, we're doing a session about what I love about Cannonball Adderley. And Cannonball is just one of those players that um, to me is almost instantly recognizable. Um, he's been a pretty big influence in my playing as an alto player. Um, I've done sessions on Charlie Parker and some of my other influences like Paul Desmond and Jerry Mulligan. Cannonball kind of came a little bit later for me in college um, when I, is when I really started to dig into Cannonball. And he played alto exclusively, although in some of his later recordings, um, he, did, he was known to double on soprano a little bit. So if you search some of those later recordings uh, towards the end of his career, you'll be able to find um, a couple of select recordings where he's playing soprano saxophone. But mostly, we're going to be talking about um, his style, um, some of his history, notable recordings, what I personally love about him, and um, what we can take away from it, and uh, why he's important as a, uh, an alto saxophone uh, voice in jazz. So I have prepared, as I always do, a uh, keynote PDF um, presentation. The PDF is sent into Clearwater Jazz Holiday. So after this recording, you'll be able to access this presentation that I'm about to share with you on my screen as a PDF. And uh, all the links um, that I'm going to share today are in that PDF as well. They should be clickable so you can go check out um, the albums and some of the links uh, that I'm sharing today. All right, so let's see, I'm gonna pull up my screen. I wanna make sure I share my screen first. So let's do that. Share screen. Boom, there it is. And there we go. All right, and I have to collapse these windows because Hang on, let's go back there. Cause I get distracted and I look at my picture. <laughs> Bad habit, that's okay. All right, I think we're all set, let's do it. All right, so what I love about Cannibal Adderley by me. Cannibal Adderley, so Cannibal Adderley was born September 15th, he had a birthday yesterday, or last week, excuse me, 1928 here in Tampa, Florida. Well, I live in St. Pete, but he was born in Tampa, born and raised in Tampa. And um, he passed away August 8th, 1975, 46 years old, not that old. Um, so unfortunately, very short lifespan and short career, but he did so much in those years. Um, he was born, his given name was Julian Edwin Adderley, and Julian is after his father's, father's first name. But Cannonball got his nickname from the word cannibal. So um, I'm not sure if many people know that, for his voracious appetite. Um, quoted by um, some of his friends, he told the story. There's a website, I, I think I didn't share that in here, but. Um, there's a, web, there's a couple of websites that have a great source, sources of information for Cannibal Adderley. Um, one of his friends mis, would mispronounce the word cannibal. 
even though people, uh, his friends would give him the nickname Cannibal at a young age because he would just eat a lot. <laughs> and um, one of his friends would say Cannibal, Cannibal, Cannibal. So over time, that name stuck and it evolved into Cannonball. So that's where that nickname actually comes from. Um, his parents were educators and his father was a trumpet player. So from Tampa, he moved to Tallahassee after high school. Well, let's see, is that after high school? Um, yeah, well, no, that seems like it would be a little bit, uh, yeah, uh, younger. Okay, so before we graduate. Uh, in the early 40s, uh, when his parents uh, uh, taught at Florida A&M University, and uh, where he also studied music and music, music education. Cannibal was a music educator first. In 1948, after he studied music at uh, Florida A&M, Cannibal became the band director at Dillard High School in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, until 1950. So for a couple of years, he was a high school band director, believe it or not. Um, after that, he also studied um, at the U.S. Navy School of Music and directed two army bands before deciding to move to New York City in 1955. And his brother, Nat Adderley, his older brother, Nat Adderley, was already in New York and um, basically said, hey, come on up here. You know, you need to you need to come up here. And so in 1955, Cannonball decided, well, let's do this. Um, he wanted to pursue graduate studies in New York because that's where all the people were. That's where everything was happening jazz wise. Well, all over the U.S., but that's like you know, the old cliche where well, you got to make it in New York. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, right? So he decided to move to New York, New York to pursue graduate studies. Well, he was going in and sitting in on all the, uh, all the different jam sessions and going to all the concerts and jazz clubs and whatnot. So he and his brother went in one night and they sat in with, uh, well, Cannibal sat in with Oscar Pettiford's band at the famous Cafe Bohemia. And after that one night, it was almost overnight, he, they start, everybody started talking about him. He became almost an overnight sensation in the jazz or musician circles of New York City. Um, a buzz started that, oh, this guy's gonna be the new Charlie Parker. This guy's gonna be the new Charlie Parker. Holy crap, okay? Um, he impressed so many people. And there's a story behind that. I don't know all the details, um, I've included a link um, here. Well, before I go there, it says later he joined his brother and cornet player, Nat Adderley, to form his first quintet. And unfortunately, it didn't have as much success as he would like at first, but give it time. Um, I found an article from 2005, and the link is right here. I won't click on it and read it because it's it's it will take some time, and um, we don't have... Um, all that much time to go into it, but there is the link if you want to read um, a little story about both how both the Adderley brothers um, started to become dominant in the scene in the uh, late 50s and early 60s. Um, so that's a really interesting article. Um, there's a couple of stories out there where um, now I did a, a clinic on Phil Woods and uh, Phil Woods mentions how he heard Cannonball Adderley in Phil Woods's biography. Um, he was at Cafe Bohemia because after the one 
time Cannonball subbed and sat in, um, he kept coming back. Oscar Pettiford kept saying, hey, you need to come back. I want you in this band. Um, so one night, Phil Woods, and it's rumored to say that it was Gene Quill, also saxophone player, and also Jackie McLean, um, seeing uh, Cannonball Adderley, their first time seeing Cannonball Adderley play. And because um, Phil Woods was very coming up, they were kind of coming up on the scene at the same time, him and Cannonball, um, right around that time in 1955, that's when uh, Charlie Parker passed away. So, you know, the jazz world's like, oh my God, Bird's gone, Bird's gone. Um, and there were so many people who uh, patterned themselves after Charlie Parker um, that it was almost like, okay, who's, who's, gonna, who's gonna carry on the torch? Um, I might do another what about uh, what I love about series involving one of those players named Sonny Stitt, who would often claim that Charlie Parker told him that he was the heir. <laughs> hey, I give you the keys to the kingdom. There's quotes and I'll use scare quotes there. Um, Sonny Stitt is said to have uh, said that and had that experience with Charlie Parker. There's lots of different stories, um, but um, there's one of them there with Phil Woods um, hearing them and uh, or hearing Cannonball and looking at, uh, I think it's either Jackie McLean or Gene Quill going, oh man, we are in trouble because this guy, wow. So anyway, well, not long after he sat in with um, Oscar Pettiford's band, um, he got noticed by Miles Davis in 1957 and he signed to signed on to the Savoy jazz label to start creating recordings and recording. Um, and so Miles said, wow, love your, love what's going on. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, I don't know exactly what he said, but basically it was like, all right, can you come join me? Let's play together. Let's record some stuff. So um, he did. And some of the earlier recordings, um, not pre 57, but Right after 57, um, in 1958, um, Can well, Cannonball released uh, uh, one of his earlier albums called Something Else. It's a staple in the, uh, in the Cannonball Adderley discography. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about it a little bit later and uh, listen to uh, part of uh, one of the tracks there. Um, this was rec recorded and released under Cannonball Adderley's name, but it was guests... Uh, Miles Davis was a guest on it, so he kind of helped Cannibal get that going. Um, this led Cannibal to recording with Miles Davis on two of Miles Davis's most significant landmark recordings of the 50s, hard bop and modal jazz era. One is Milestones, which I'm sure if you're a, a Miles Davis fan, you're familiar with uh, from 1958 and the uh, quintessential jazz album that everybody probably owns and is usually introduced to right at first, Kind of Blue, 1959. So it wasn't long after uh, Cannonball came up to New York, just a few years before he started really, really making some noise on the scene in New York City and in the jazz scene in general. So let's keep going. In 59, Cannonball reformed his quintet after doing about a year and a half stint with Miles Davis and reformed his quintet with his brother, Nat. And uh, that started, the second formation here started to become way more successful. And Adderley continued to lead popular small groups for the rest of his career. That was kind of his deal. Quintet, 
There's a couple of sextet recordings, but it was pretty much either quintet or sextet was the majority of his, uh, his career. Now, here's the thing. His interest as an educator, because that's what he first started out as, would continue to carry over into his recordings. Um, in 1961, he, is, uh, he narrated uh, a book called The Child's Introduction to Jazz on Riverside Records. And if you can grab that, it might be on YouTube. I'm not sure. I, I, I think I completely for forgot to check that, but we can check that um, maybe a little later. But I would love to hear that. I haven't heard that. Um, but if anybody has, I'm sure it's amazing if you are familiar with the way that Cannibal Adderley would address um, his audiences in some of the live recordings. And we're going to talk about that because it's very significant to me. Um, so Cannibal's series of quintets um, and sextets also later would go on to feature multiple jazz giants. And these names may be familiar to you, but this is how we learn about um other jazz musicians as you look at who's on the recordings with the uh with uh with them right um for me it started out with charlie parker paul desmond jerry mulligan and then it just branched out charlie parker led me to miles davis miles davis led me to cannibal coltrane you know and then it just starts to branch out like tree branches right so on tenor saxophone, um, recordings are mostly featuring Youssef Latif and uh, Charles Lloyd. I think we lost Youssef Latif um, a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken. He was like an honorary professor. Um, gosh, I can't remember the school. But he was a big, uh, big uh, force in uh, saxophone, jazz saxophone land. Um, also, Charles Lloyd, beautiful, beautiful sound. Um, not a lot of... Uh, folks are, uh, is not as famous of a name in some circles, but definitely if you're into some tenor saxophone you might not have heard before, check out Youssef Latif and Charles Lloyd. Some really great recordings. Um, piano, um, let's go down the list. Bobby Timmons, Barry Harris, Victor Feldman, Joe Zabanul, um, Hal Galper, Mich Michael Wolf, and George Duke. Fantastic, amazing list of piano players. Bass, Ray Brown, Sam Jones, most of the recordings that I love have Sam Jones on them. Walter Book Booker, Victor Gaskin. And then on drums, Lewis Hayes was like his man. Um, and then later in uh, some of the uh, recordings, you hear uh, Roy McCurdy on that as well. So, um, but I think the, the rhythm section I love the most, Sam Jones, Lewis Hayes, um, and probably either Victor Feldman or Joe Zabanul um, were my two favorite piano players with Cannibal Adderley. I mean, these groups were just so solid. Really, really love it. Um, all right, let's keep going. I'm gonna grab a drink because, yeah. I was telling Mr. Canonal before, I just keep going, I <laughs> just keep talking. So sometimes I need to slow down and take a break. All right, let's move forward. So Cannonball is known for being primarily an alto saxophonist. We said this earlier, but he did double on soprano saxophone um, on some recordings later in his career. And um, he was a kind, generous man who nurtured and promoted young musical talent. So he was very generous with his time. A um, couple of things that we want to, uh, I wanted to highlight is he actually called, um, uh, 
uh, West Montgomery to the attention of Riverside Records and uh, got him hooked up with Riverside. And then he also produced the debut recording of Chuck Mangione. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. When I first found out, I was like, what? Chuck Mangione? Shut up. Anyway, um, and he also collaborated with a brilliantly young Nancy Wilson. And that is definitely a recording that I've listed in my, uh, my notable recordings. Um, she was 25 when she recorded with uh, Cannibal Ireland. And it's just a fantastic album. I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of uh, jazz groups here in the area have done a Cannonball Adderley Nancy Wilson show. Um, and I also did a Cannonball Adderley and Coltrane uh, tribute show, gosh, 2013 down here for the St. Pete Jazz Fest. I think it was one of the first years um, St. Pete Jazz Fest was going on. Um, I tried to find some recordings to, to show you guys, but I think they all got removed. <laughs> Maybe there were some copyright issues, but um, I couldn't find the videos. Um, I'm sure they're somewhere. Um, but anyway, um, all right. Uh, Cannonball was also widely known for how incredibly articulate, informative, and engaging he was with his audience and of his music. His wry commentary illuminated the music for his listeners. And we're gonna play, I'm gonna play some samples of Cannibal Adderley as he introduces some of the songs in his live albums, which are my favorite ones um, to listen to. I, I love listening to him talk, and I'm sure you will too if you you haven't heard and you hear um, how he how he speaks. It's just really fantastic. He's <laughs> like, man, he is super official, um, but he's so articulate. Um, there's also some humor there, um, very professional. Um, but also with a little tinge of humor. Um, and let's keep going. Later in his career, he began to reflect the influence of electric jazz in the early 1970s. And I'm not familiar too much with those recordings um, that really didn't grab me as much. Um, but again, it was, you know, a lot of his career spanned the 60s. And uh, that was a time of uh, of uh, some branching out of that um, mainstream bebop stuff because bebop was evolving into hard bop, but there was also the avant-garde. You have Ornette Coleman and Eric Dolphy um, in the in the mid to late '60s as well. Um, you know, doing their own thing, like just going completely off the rails, and um, and then some electric stuff. You know, like uh, Eddie Harris. You know, Eddie Harris, a lot of the bands were getting into the fusion and electric stuff. And Cannibal kind of touched a little bit on that in the early 70s as well. Um, if you want to check something out, this is really interesting. A clip from his performance, um, and I couldn't find this but <clears throat> um, in time for this presentation, but a clip of his performance at the 1970 Monterey Jazz Festival was featured in the Clint Eastwood film Play Misty for Me. So I couldn't find the exact clip, but... Um, if you've ever seen that film, it's, it's an older film, um, you should watch it. Um, it's pretty, it's a, it's like a psychological thriller if you haven't heard it, but, um, but yeah, check it out. Um, they feature a little clip of, um, Cannonball Adderley's, uh, group, uh, playing in the 1970 Monterey Jazz Festival. Um, in 1975, uh, before his death, he appeared in an acting role alongside Jose Feliciano 
and David Carradine in the episode Battle Him from the third season of the TV series Kung Fu. Again, I did not research this one. I probably should have, but I was like, what? He did a little bit of an acting thing? That is so cool. So um, if you want to look that up, I'm sure it's easily found. Um, maybe it's not. I'm not, I'm not sure uh, if Kung Fu is on there. Um, I could go on a tangent, but let's not do that. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, Cannonball suffered a stroke from a cerebral hemorrhage um, in 1975. He died four weeks later, August 8th, 1975, only 46. Um, really sad. Um, but hey, we're very fortunate to have what we have from him. So I'm grateful for that. All right. Let's move on and talk a little bit about his um, style of playing. And um, clearly, he's got lots of influences, but the two big ones that I hear um, are Charlie Parker and Benny Carter, actually. He, he took a lot of, of the R&B blues, or R&B styles um, uh, and rhythm styles from Benny Carter. You can hear it in his vibrato. Um, his vibrato, when Cannibal used vibrato, was very thick. It kind of harkens back to the early days of saxophone in, like, say, the 20s and 30s, big bandy kind of style. Um, and Benny Carter, if you haven't checked out Benny Carter, wow. That is a, uh, he's, he was a staple. Um, that's like checking out uh, Johnny Hodges, Benny Carter. Um, those, are the, those are the cats of that era. Um, Cannonball played in the bebop style mostly, but also combined with the rhythm and blues style of Carter. His music wasn't considered groundbreaking like Bird. Um, Bird was one of those revolutionaries along with some others. So Cannonball was kind of following that. So he didn't necessarily do anything super new, but he was a masterful technician of the saxophone playing many fast and forward lines with an emphasis on blues inflections. You can really, really hear it, which in this next little point, through coming into prominence in the late bebop, oh, excuse me, though coming into prominence in the late bebop era, Cannibal is often considered a hard bop artist, okay? Uh, integrating R&B, gospel, and traditional blues into his style, which continued to dominate the musical scene throughout the 1960s. Um, so instead of taking that avant-garde approach, although there are some recordings of Cannibal playing some avant-garde kind of out there stuff, um, he kept it kind of mainstream, um, but he's really one of those hard bop guys. Like I instantly, when, when they say hard bop, I think of Cannibal Adderley. Um, you know, you can also think of, you know, uh, the Jazz Messengers, Lee Morgan. I mean, there's, we could go down the list, but um, Cannibal to me, um, will always be a uh, hard bop, in my opinion. Um, and we're going to listen to some, some, some stuff. You'll hear it. You'll hear it um, if you're familiar with the hard bop style. Impact on me as a musician. Um, so I first heard Cannibal Adderley on, on the record Kind of Blue. That's when I was introduced to him um, in my late teens. This was after I got into Charlie Parker, after I had a private lesson. Uh, told that story when I did what I love about Charlie Parker, about my, my first jazz uh, private teacher in, in uh, junior high and high school, um, got me into Charlie Parker, Paul Desmond, Jerry Mulligan. Um, but I had no idea who Cannibal Adderley was until 
um, I got kind of blue and you look at the liner notes, that's how you know how, uh, who's playing with whom. And um, which is kind of unfortunate today. Um, we have so much uh, access to information with the internet, YouTube, all of that. But what I really get disappointed with is um, a lot of stuff digitally now, especially streaming um, like Spotify, they don't include all the details that the album covers used to include. And that's how you learn your jazz history. That's how you learn who's on what recording. You kind of have to do a little extra research, typing in, um, you know, internet, typing in the internet, Google search. Oh, Cannonball Adderley, look at a recording. Oh, now you got to type up the recording. Then you have to scroll down and find, okay, uh, who's on here? Who's on the personnel? You can usually find it all right, but I really prefer just having that physical album in front of me. And I've got a whole bunch of records <laughs> in my uh bedroom where my record player is um but that's reading the liner notes um that's just a little side note there but read the liner notes if you can find albums you know or pictures of the liner notes that way you'll know who's playing with whom um i just i like that kind of old school thing but then again i'm getting older so <laughs> um but yeah um i wasn't paying too much attention to cannibal Adderley when i first heard him um, because I kind of thought, well, he's playing some fast stuff like Charlie Parker, but I was super obsessed with Charlie Parker into the first part of my college years. Um, and I was just kind of like, okay, yeah, he's not blah, blah, blah. Charlie Parker, Charlie Parker. Um, but again, once I got into college, um, in the, uh, mid late nineties, um, I really started digging into Cannonball and uh, recordings that made an impact on me, I'll discuss in the notable recording section. Um, his bluesy inflections were really easy to grab onto uh, with my inner ear. And um, the more I listened, the more I was like, ooh, yeah. Oh, I love this. So cool. Really, really loved his playing. All right. Um, what grabs me about his music? So let's talk about that. For me, it's all about that sound. And um, you probably have heard me say this in my other uh, presentations. It's about the sound. I mean, nothing you play, if you're a musician and you're watching this, doesn't matter what you're playing. Uh, it could be winds, it could be percussion. If you don't have a good sound, it doesn't matter what you play. You have to start with that sound. Now, sound can be subjective. You know, I'm not gonna lie. There are sounds of some great saxophone players that I personally just do not care for. And that's okay, but the trick is, is to find your voice. You have your voice, you just reach inside and finding the best way to get it out, right? I think we've talked, I talked a little bit about that in uh, one of my other presentations, playing in the style, um, talking about playing in different styles, but as you explore different si styles and different musical artists on your instrument or not on your instrument, you, develop your own style that all comes together um and you you have your own style already whether or not you're experienced or not you just have to develop it that's all it is um but cannonball uh to me it's it's uh instantly recognizable um uh he had a beautiful lush and vibrant sound i like to describe it that way um to me, it wasn't too bright or piercing. It could be at times, but not, not like just laser, you know. Um, 
but very full, very round, open. I love, you know, we use these different words to describe sound. It's very just kind of relative. Who's to say what, what uh, what's a round sound sound like? Sound isn't round. It doesn't have a shape. It's got waves, but it's not round waves that are happening. But it's just a descriptive word that we get used to using here. Uh, it's part of our jargon. Um, I've tried so hard to duplicate Cannonball sound, and I just I can't really get there. Um, I can do a pretty good Charlie Parker. Um, I could do maybe a couple of inflections of Cannonball, but that sound, I just never. And I'm even using a mouthpiece that uh, the same mouthpiece type he had, um, but it's a little bit different. Um, I'm definitely not using the same saxophone, and saxophones have different uh, sounds um, as you play them. But uh, anyway, he was always a challenge for me to uh, try to copy. His articulation, wow. Um, he was a master of articulation, and you'll hear it. Just so accurate. Um, he had the speed of Charlie Parker, but his lines and articulation, in my opinion, are much more clean and exact than Charlie Parker ever was. I mean, it's just incredible uh, when you hear some of the stuff and some of his art, you really study that articulation and you go, whoa, incredible. Um, inflections, um, inflections, how we shape our sounds, uh, little things like, uh, you know, bends and dips and what that, whatnot. Um, his inflections are very distinguishable to me and his style is almost instantly recognizable. Um, he employed a rich vibrato on ballads um, and where needed. Benny Carter meet, uh, it's like Benny Carter meets classical saxophone. Yes, classical saxophone exists. Maybe I'll do a session on that. No, it's jazz. We can't do that. <laughs> anyway, um, his scoops, his bends, and even growls, there's a couple of things where he, he makes the growling sound have so much character behind them. Um, his style was assertive on the fast bebop and hard bop styles, very fluid and kind of in your face. Um, while he could also be subtle and sweet on slower and uh, softer tunes. And the big thing too, he swung so hard. Man, when you listen to how he articulates his swinging, it's just, it's like no, no other uh, saxophone player could swing as hard as Cannonball Adderley, um, in my opinion. I just think he's one of the most swingingest, swingingest saxophone players. It's just fantastic. All right. Ooh, I should take a drink. Mm. It's water, don't worry. <laughs> All right, so I'm just keeping an eye on my time. Um, notable recording. So let's take a listen to some of this stuff. So I didn't go all the way back to his first recordings. I just went to um, the recordings that I have discovered that I really, really enjoy and that, I, um, that made the most impact on me. Because if you go look at his discography, it's just right down the line, um, there's amazing, amazing recordings all over the place. And even um, pre-1958, um, he made some really good recordings. Um, they just, at the time, they weren't, they weren't selling as well. But then, like I said, after the Miles Davis stint, um, he started gaining more popularity. So um, the first album we're gonna check out a little bit of is Something Else with Miles Davis. This was um, recorded in 1958. And so we'll take a little 
Um, listen here. Friends would walk up to me and be like, what ads. is in your mug? And I would just tell them, it's my There we go. So this first track is Autumn Leaves. Very classic recording. Classic intro. So if I pause right here, this intro is known in the jazz world um, and um, kind of a thought out composed introduction. You, we don't even hear the melody to Autumn Leaves yet, right? You're going, what is this? This isn't Autumn Leaves. I didn't sign up for that. You've heard other Autumn Leaves recordings. I won't play the whole thing, but let's keep listening to the intro a little bit. And um, you'll hear Miles come in with the, uh, you'll hear Miles come in with very sparse um, Autumn Leaves melody. Um, and then we'll fast forward a little bit and we'll listen to some Cannonball solo, but let's listen to this uh, intro. <laughs> Go ahead and skip ahead a little bit and see if we can listen to some cannonball. those first little seconds we'll just talk a little bit about you can hear at the end of his phrasing kind of that thick vibrato towards the end very recognizable also you heard that kind of boo, like the pitch bend at the end of that phrase let's go back and listen um this is he's characterizing the mood it's very sweet and kind of flowing but relaxed not aggressive this was a very kind of a chill mood they set with this uh, recording. Um, again, late 50s. This is right before Miles um, does his kind of blue and does the um, modal jazz kind of a thing. So we kind of hear some of that precursor modalish vibe in the intro, right? But let's just listen again to that vibrato. Um, that little stylistic thing that Cannonball does. Right there. Very thick, wide vibrato there. And that he loves to use that. It's so expressive in slower tunes where he can drag out that, uh, that expression a little bit. Let's listen to a little bit more. Oh, <laughs> 
There's some Charlie Parker. that little floor so i'm doing this action because i know how to do it on the saxophone and guess where i picked it up from cannonball Adderley. figured that out listening going oh what is that and i'll use that and you'll you'll hear him do it's kind of like hitting a side key and all, at the same time it creates a trill and a um i guess the technical term is obligato where it's uh, up and down between larger notes that span large uh, large dis larger distances so it'll go um that's a real signature uh that's the the first time i heard that was cannibal um i don't know if anybody was doing that before maybe i don't know um i'd have to do some research to find that out anyway um you're getting the picture of this album or this tune this um uh, autumn leaves um, we got lots of stuff I want to show you, so I want to move forward, and uh, all these you can uh, listen to. Let's see, how do I get out of this screen? Hello? Oh, there we go. Okay. All right, let's go to another little tidbit, and I'm not going to click on every single link, but um, we'll share some of those. Um, I put under something else here with Miles Davis. Uh, Milestones, if, if you're you might be more familiar, some people might be more familiar with Miles Davis than they are with uh, Cannibal Adderley. So um, I'm not gonna play any clips from these, but I, I um, linked to the uh, playlist for these albums so you can hear Cannibal with Miles Davis. And instead of focusing on Miles Davis, maybe focus on Cannibal and uh, you know listen to how he contributes his voice to, uh, these early landmark recording of uh, Miles Davis, um, because these are two of his uh, two of his landmark recordings, Milestones and Kind of Blue. All right, let's move on. Um, I do want to listen to a little bit of Quintet in Chicago, also known as uh, Cannonball and Coltrane. I picked this CD up in college, um, and um, this is, uh, I think, one of the only albums that. Cannibal and Coltrane were co-leaders on. Um, all the other appearances with both of them, they were with Miles Davis or another group. But um, this album is amazing. I love this. And in fact, um, this is the album I did uh, back in 2013. Uh, did a tribute to Cannibal and Coltrane on uh, one of the uh, nights of the St. Pete Jazz Fest. Uh, sponsored by, um, if you're familiar with David Manson and his um, nonprofit uh, organization called EMIT here in St. Petersburg, he started sponsoring and putting on the St. Pete Jazz Fest, asked me to be a part of it. And I got a really fantastic group together, um, saxophonists, um, 
who was living here, and I think he's from here originally, uh, Jeremy Powell, uh, he and I did this together where, you know, he was the Coltrane and I was the Cannonball. Um, we got uh, LaRue Nicholson on guitar. We got, um, oh, oh, drummer, killing me. Uh, we got Alejandro Arenas on bass and uh, Ian. Ian, uh, oh, he's killing me. I can't believe I can't remember. Uh, he's going to kill me if he sees this. <laughs> I'm sure I'll think of it. Oh, fantastic drummer. It was so much fun. I was trying to find clips from that. Um, we did it at Art Pool in St. Petersburg in 2013. And we did all of the tracks um, off of this album, Cannibal and Coltrane. So um, let's pull this up and listen to a little bit of it. Again with the ads, sorry guys. Introducing Skechers Go Walk Pants, made with the cotton oh, soft- I don't need Go Walk Pants. It's just a fact. <laughs> Sorry, friends. Thanks for being patient with the ads. I know they're annoying. I guess I should just pay, but. All right. Sorry. Okay. So the first track um, just is now we're getting into the stuff. All right. The really fast stuff. Um, and the first solo is Cannonball. So we're going to listen to how incredibly clean yet lightning fast he plays. He's playing an older tune called, uh, they're both playing Limehouse Blues, and it's not an actual blues in the sense of a traditional blues. Um, it's a little bit different, so it's kind of older. Uh, this is an older song, it's from, gosh, uh, maybe the 30s or 40s, I think. I don't know, don't quote me on that, I might be wrong. Uh, I might have to go uh, fact check me, okay? Please fact check me. But let's listen, they take this at just a super breakneck speed, in the classic um, classic bebop uh, style. Here we go, let's listen to some of Limehouse Blues. They're both playing the same time. So good in tune. If you're listening really carefully, you can hear the articulation going on. And it's just so clean, but it is so smooth. Um, when he's playing some of those fast lines, um, it's not all just slurred. Um, you have to listen really, really carefully, critical listening. Uh, for those of you who are studying music and transcribing, um, good way to uh, just get better at your craft is to transcribe not only just the notes and the chords um people be getting obsessed with that but 
transcribe the articulation, the accents, the inflections, all that stuff. I think I've mentioned that in some sessions before, but you really, really listen. And it's just super, super impressive. Um, let's play a little bit more of this and then I'll move on. Coltrane, um, but if you really listen to how Coltrane's playing, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> Coltrane's playing, his inflections and articulations are so much more relaxed, I, I mean, in terms of articulation. I want to say sloppy. They're different. It's a lot more relaxed. Cannonballs are just so like boom, 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 boom like just right in there. Um, it, it just, there is a real, aside from the fact that Cannonball's playing alto and tenor, that has, you know, they have two, two different sounds, um, soloistically, right? But um, listening to that articulation from Cannonball and then comparing it to Coltrane, um, they're, they're starkly different to me. Um, and I love some Coltrane. But man, that cannonball stuff just woo, hits me right here. I love it. Um, so uh, there's lots of great tracks here um, on this one. Uh, Stars Fell on Al Alabama um, is a wonderful ballad uh, from uh, Cannonball. I want to play a different one, though. Um, let's see. Yeah, we did all of these. The Sleeper, Grand Central, all that stuff. Um, and Jeremy Powell was just incredible. I mean, if you guys know Jeremy Powell, you'll know, whoa. I mean, go check him out. He's living in New York now, doing his thing and being awesome and killing it. So um, check out, go check out Jeremy Powell. Let's, let's move on um, to some more stuff. Um, Them Dirty Blues, um, Work Song. Work Song is one of his... Uh, notable tunes and this kind of harkens into that bluesy um, you know gospely hard boppy kind of a thing it's a blues but it's a in a minor key so we're going to call it kind of a minor blues um, so we'll listen to a little bit of work song I love playing this tune on jam sessions and calling it um, but this one if you really listen uh, it's more of like that straight ahead swing listen to how Cannonball articulates um, and swings. We talked about how he swings really hard. Let's listen. Hopefully there's no ads. Please no ads. Please no ads. Ugh. Sorry, guys. Let's mute it. Um, but yeah, this, how he swings when he plays this. Taco Bell. Oh, there's more. Are you guys hungry now? that. <laughs> Love this tune. Mm-hmm. 
articulation. So not only is he swinging so hard, he is emphasizing that upbeat, like we, we need to in the jazz style of do ba do ba, if I slow down, do ba do ba, but he's doing that more of a, a groove tempo. Right? And um, also too, you can hear sometimes he will straighten out that swing, but it still swings. It still swings. Listen really closely. Let's go back to some of those, uh, that real intro, the little intro to his solo. You can hear on one of these lines where it still sounds like it's swinging, but he's kind of laying back a little bit and not doing so much of that triplety swing. It's, it's, it's really interesting to listen to. Let's go back and listen real quick. It almost is right, right there on that, that edge between real shuffly swing, hard swing, and even eighth notes. It's almost in between, but he still makes it swing so hard. Go back and listen to it. Uh, let's listen to it a few more seconds, and then I'll move on. <laughs> Do you hear that? Boom, ball. I learned that glissando up instead of down from Cannonball. And it's not easy to pull off. You have to practice it. But that ball, ball, it's going up, not down. So cool. Right there is that, again, I keep stopping. I'm sorry. I just get so, so excited. Right there is that where it's kind of between swing and straight. It's, man, it's incredible. All right, if I don't stop here, I'm gonna keep talking. And um, also for young jazz players, learn this song. This is a great song you can call, it's really easy. Um, you can use that blues scale that you're taught by uh, your private lesson teachers and band directors um through the whole thing and that's that's a lot of what cannonball is doing is using that type of scale exclusively there's some um nuances there where he's not um which you can learn as well but if you're just starting out learning a tune you need to get your tune knowledge up and you you know you got a little bit of command of that um uh, it's a concert f key um blue scale learn this tune it's easy ba ba do da ba da ba do da Super easy line, really memorable. Um, put it on your tune list. You should know it, young budding jazz musician people. All right, uh, let's move forward because that's the only way to go. And uh, I'm, uh, I don't wanna take too much more time since we've, I'm kind of coming up here on uh, three o'clock, um, but let's talk about some of these other recordings. Uh, uh, we just listened to work song from Them Dirty Blues. There's so many songs to talk about. Um, I love this album, Quintet at the Lighthouse. It features Victor Feldman. Uh, yeah, 
uh, Victor Feldman on uh, on uh, piano. Um, really fantastic recording from 1960. Um, let's take a look real quick at that. And again, we have to uh, mute that. And you can see though, um, I've tried to find links that contain the entire album. Oh, and then I just messed it up, didn't I? Come back. Thank you very much. Here's an example of Cannonball talking to the audience. Um, we talked about how he was so articulate and he likes to explain things. So we listened to a little bit up front. Um, and then uh, this tune also called Saka Wo um, is Cannonball Adderley uh, composition. And um, in fact, I'm playing um, in a big band tonight at the Palladium, little plug, um, if anybody sees this. Uh, we're going to be playing uh, Sakawo. Uh, it's with the Helios Jazz Orchestra. I'm playing tenor, not alto, but if anybody sees this after the act, you know, check out the Helios Jazz Orchestra or just check out the tune Sakawo. Here, let's listen to a little bit of what Cannibal has to say about Sakawo and uh, the intro to this album. This is a little tune, you know, I think you could call this one funky that we do that's based upon a rhythm that's a common one used dancing, and it has been used for a long time. This one is called a sack of wool. So explaining, you know, a little bit about the tune and the style of the tunes, popular at the time, the dancing. Um, this is very kind of almost uh, boogie-woogie-ish, but it's not super swing. Very popular dance type of feel. Now we're going to do this. Swing. style there cool highly recommend this album it's one of my favorites i transcribed a solo off of this album on uh what is this thing called love um i don't have time to play it right now so let's move forward but check it out um i got a couple more um and then i'll uh wrap it up but um We've also got, um, really check out Nancy Wilson Cannibal Adderley album from 1961. Um, that's a beautiful album. Um, and Nancy Wilson, uh, 25 years old, um, sounds just incredible. So gorgeous. I really love Nancy Wilson. Um, I think we lost her a few years ago, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, uh, but yeah, oh, wow. Great album. Um, now this album, Sextet in New York, I have a small story. Um, and uh, this album is such an important album for me. Um, I participated in, there was like a college 
um, jazz band festival we did um, when I was going to college in Utah. And um, I won second place in the solo competition um, uh, at that. So um, my, my prize was a little certificate of recognition and this album. I got a CD copy of this album, Sextet in New York. And um, I absolutely love this album so much. Um, it's really, really, really amazing. Um, so many good tunes on here. We'll play a little bit of the first one. As soon as this goes away, please, thank you. We've made a lot of records in nightclubs, especially in California, at the famous Lighthouse in Hermosa Beach. That was the previous recording we talked to, listened to. Francisco. And the reason we selected those rooms were because the audiences were so hip that we could, you know, just play what we want to play without being bothered and everybody dug it, you see? We've never made a live album in New York because for some reason we have never really felt the kind of thing that we wanted to feel from the audience, which has nothing to do with acceptance, applause, or appreciation. It's the atmosphere. You know, you get a lot of people who are supposed to be hip, you know, and they act like they're supposed to be hip, which makes a big difference. You see what I mean? Now, we have especially been impressed with the audience here at the matinee performance at the Village Vanguard. We think that this is the kind of audience that is the real jazz audience. And uh, we want to thank you for making it possible, for being so really hip. You know, hipness is, is not a, a state of mind. It's a fact of life. You see what Damn. I mean? You don't decide <laughs> you're hip. It just happens that way. You see what I mean? So today we're doing our first New York live album, courtesy of you, the audience. Thank you very much. We're going to... I wanted to play this for you guys. I love it so much. We're going to play now one of our new pieces. This one has two different characteristics, two different feelings, a sort of schizophrenic type thing. And I think that accounts for the reason why its composer, Mr. Jimmy Heath of Philadelphia, decided to call this one Gemini. Listen to a little bit of this and then we'll move on. Oh, maybe. Oh, no. It was just the intro. I want to go back to the. Uh, where's the list? Oh, okay. Well, I'm running out of time. I don't want to take up too much of your time, folks. Um, but that was just a little intro to uh, the Gemini. It's in three, and it's kind of got this feeling of not really three, like waltz quality um, is what he's talking about. Um, but uh, I highly suggest you check out that recording, listen to it all. Um, I guess that link went straight to the introduction instead of the... Uh, full set list, but you can find it. You can find it on uh, YouTube. Now, another couple of interesting recordings that I really, really enjoy. Cannibal did a, a version of the songs from Fiddler on the Roof, and it's so cool. Gotta check it out. Um, check it out. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wish I had more time to play it, but I know we're on, on a little bit of a time schedule. So, um, and then one of the final recordings that I really, really like was uh, Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. Uh, it's a recording. It's live at the club. Um, really great album. Are some a lot of cool things. I even covered a couple of those tunes in the uh, Cannonball Coltrane uh, show he did back in 2013. Um, some really, really great things there. But this is kind of like my Cannonball Adderley go-to discography. There's so much more. All you got to do is type up Cannonball Adderley. You'll find all the discography. Um, check him out. You know, really listen. There's some just fantastic recordings out there. Um, so to wrap it up, and I hate to wrap it up, but I don't want to, I don't want to uh, take too much more of your time. Um, I know we're, uh, you know, I could, cause I could go for another hour. <laughs> we could talk about recordings and what we hear and all of that, but um, I'll let you guys discover that on your own. Um, and I hope I've done enough uh, here to entice you to listen to Cannonball um, in the short amount of time. But the takeaway for me, the takeaway is he was a key jazz alto saxophone voice rooted in bebop, blues, and hard bop styles. Um, Campbell Hadley had a rich vocabulary with distinguishable style and infectious inflections. I like that, infectious inflections. Um, you know what an inflection is, scoops, bends, dips, vibrato, um, all the stuff you do to manipulate your sound to make it your own. We do that in our voice, like when we ask a question, we usually will raise our voice at the end. That's called inflection, right? Just like I just did, right? Okay, voice went up. That's inflection. Um, he was known for his incredible technique, expressiveness, and ability to educate and engage his audience. We listened to a few of those examples. Oh, I didn't play the ballad, I'm sorry. Um, Stars Fell on Alabama. Check that out from Cannibal Coltrane uh, album, Stars Fell on Alabama. Woo! Another one that I really, really like was uh, One for Daddy-O. It's a really good one. Um, I think that's on a different album, though. Uh, yeah. Um, and then uh, he was a prominent jazz figure known for the hard bop style of the 1960s by integrating blues, bop, and gospel styles into his music. Um, one thing I did not touch on was that um, a lot of his music and some of the, some of the live recordings that you'll hear and, and discover were happening around the time of um, oh, the civil rights movement. Um, and so he had some, there's some political messages behind that, uh, behind some of the, the tunes that he uh, would play and for his audiences. And it was a real, you know, it's, some of those recordings are a real reflection of the times during the uh, uproar of the civil rights movement. And um, it's really fascinating to go listen to those recordings and think about what was going on at the time. Um, I mean, we can say that for all the jazz albums of the 60s, right? Um, or even of any uh, jazz album. You know, if you really want to understand what, what's going on in the music, look at the history around the music. Um, study your history. And history was never a really good subject for me. But now that I'm older, um, I find it more fascinating. Um, so, you know, keep that in mind when you're listening to some of these older jazz recordings. You know, think about the history of what's going on in the world or what was going on in the nation at the time. Um, you know, in in times like these, we're we're rife with that. It's all over. We can't get a we can't get 
enough of it or we get too much of it. But um, I think it's really, really fascinating to listen to how the music um, is directly reflective of the culture um, of the times that was uh, coming out. So uh, anyway, take what you want from that. Uh, I, I think that's an enriching thing that you can uh, you can do is really really investigate the uh, history behind um, some of the artists that you listen to. You know, it's not just about the music. Um, remember, it's coming from the culture and coming out as an expression of the artist. So um, I think that's it. That's all I got. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. And I, um, you know, as a uh, one more word of uh, encouragement. Never stop uh, asking questions and never stop researching. Um, if you're not familiar with an artist, go check them out. There's so many new artists out there too, but don't forget where they came from. Check out some of the older ones. Cannibal Arterly, if you haven't investigated him, take some time. Make a Spotify list, make a YouTube list. Go in there and listen, especially if you're an alto saxophone player. Um, I think he's one of the one of the most uh, influential alto sax players, and probably one of the most unique um, players out there. Um, he's similar to Bird, but he kind of did his own thing. Um, took something from Bird and made it his own. He didn't necessarily um, innovate, but um, he was part of that whole, you know, moving forward with hard bop and keeping kind of mainstream jazz mainstream when other people were doing avant garde you know, um, Ornette Coleman's harmonics and all of that crazy stuff. Um, and I personally prefer that change playing kind of stuff. Um, that's kind of my thing. Um, I love that. I love that. So, uh, I think I'll stop there because I can keep going. That's what I love about Campbell Adderley. So there you go. My, 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 the doctor, professor, <laughs> Austin Vickery, Not my goodness. <laughs> you gave us so many great nuggets of wisdom and history on the great Cannonball Adderley. I mean, you even threw in some Coltrane. I love those recordings where we heard, you know, the comparison. I mean, they're both greats in the eyes of all of us musicians. Um, I just want to remind everybody, like, I know I enjoyed that and I could go for a part two of that because I know uh, Austin has so much more to give you on that. But definitely, like he said, listen to the music, transcribe. I mean, there's so many tools out there. You can slow it down, speed it up. I don't think you should speed it up, but <laughs> at least try to slow it down to catch up with these guys. But the feel of the music is everything and Cannonball Adderley, he really stressed that. You could hear it in everything he played. So I want to thank you personally, uh, Mr. Vickery, for giving us such a detailed, awesome presentation today. And I want to remind everybody, you know, what you're getting here is some phenomenal content. And most of all, it's free. Where can you get this type of information for free? And you can ask questions of the educators. And you can go back into the archives of our past sessions. And I'm just going to give you that website, www.clearwaterjazz.com slash education. And there's a whole library of things that you can dive into, whether you're a beginner musician, you're new to jazz, or you've been playing for many, many years. There's so much more we can keep uh, learning. And if you're enjoying this, not only share it, tell everybody else, but give us some feedback. 
We would love to hear any um, future topics you want to suggest or how much you really just love listening to Austin Vickery. <laughs> Email us at info at clearwaterjazz.com and we'll love to hear from you. Until then, I'm your guest host, Michael Canodal, and this has been the Professor Dr. Austin Vickery the great saxophonist. And until next time, keep it swinging, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Thank you to our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to present this podcast series. To learn more about the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Annual Festival tradition, other special events throughout the year, and our year-round education and outreach, please visit clearwaterjazz.com.